Hello and welcome to Extraordinary Outback Stories, a podcast about extraordinary people living in the bush. You're joined by regional journalists Lucy Samuels and Lucy Taylor. How are we feeling? Oh, pretty damn good. It is. It's a pretty damn good day for our very first episode of Extraordinary Outback Stories. We have had the most incredible journey so far, flying across Outback New South Wales. We have. We've been flying a single engine plane, a 182 for all those aviation enthusiasts, across uh, to these remote places and meeting some of the living legends of the bush. And that's what it's all about. In every episode, we're going to bring to life a new person and a new place. Once you get on a grid like with 40 other guys and all trying to you know, beat each other in the first corner and then race for 30 minutes, like there's no other feeling like it. Like it's yeah, just the adrenaline and I guess that blood pumping through your veins, I guess. For our very first episode, we touched down at a tiny place called Burke, population of about 2,000 people, to meet with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr Ty Simmons. And we really became interested in this man because word on the street was that there was this godlike figure living out the back of Burke that is a world-class motocross legend Mm. and now spends his days chasing goats in his gyrocopter. In a gyrocopter. And I guess what we really wanted to find out is why. Ty has 13 Australian titles. He has a handful of world titles under his belt. He has raced in some of the toughest terrain in the country. And now he's hanging out the back of Burke. So after flying in, we were picked up by this incredibly handsome cowboy who gave us a quick tour of Burke and then took us back to his father's place, which is on the Darling River, where we got to meet his stunning wife Steph, Mm. his gorgeous four-month-old son Johnny Clyde, his father Greg and plenty of extended family. And there's just this huge spread, a fire and this huge spread and we get to taste Burke's famous chicken legs, uh, steaks, sausages, Sausages. yeah, (laughs) and some mussels. Those mussels were so good. You didn't like those. I did like the mussels. No, you didn't. I saw your face. They were salty and good. (laughs) This is where we truly got to know Ty and we figured out why he got so far in his career at such a young age. He is truly humble and I guess which is put down to one figure in his life, his father. This is Ty Simmons. Good morning, Ty. Good morning, girls. How are you this morning? I'm fine. And you? Pulled up well after last night. Sure did. Last night we went out with Ty's family and sat down, enjoyed some barbecue and a few drinks and sat by the campfire and... Along the river. Yeah, really enjoyed hanging out with your family. Thank you. Had a great time as well. Yeah, they're legends. Ty, I guess we're out the back of Burke and you've put us up in the most incredible timber caverns. It reminds us of, I guess, something Yellowstone. Yellowstone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty funny, Um, Uncle Pete and Dad. Yeah, they started that uh, that caravan a long time ago and and referring to riding days, that was where I had my first motocross track and, yeah, obviously turned it into a caravan park and with their time in the States and rodeoing and, and, like, living in the mountains and whatnot and they come back here both being builders by trade, that was what they wanted to sort of replicate and, and do it out here in the outback over the old log cabin style. 
Yeah, when we're flying in yesterday, it really has changed the landscape, hasn't it? It goes from green and then it goes into this kind of vast, dusty... Well, this is this is as far out west of, as I've ever been. Yeah. And it, it changed so quickly and it's kind of almost like you're landing on the moon. <laughs> like it's, it's so different to anything I've ever seen. Yeah, it is different and, and at the minute we're in a really good like season, like it's nice and green. and yeah, Which I can't get over. Like yeah. I said to you, I was like... Is, is it good season? Has it rained? Because <laughs> it doesn't look like it. But. Uh, yeah, it ha- we've had plenty of rain, sort of. Yeah, fr- from October last year, and it does look really good. But yeah, when it is dry and there hasn't been any rain, she she proper does look like the moon. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What attracts you to live out here? I, I think it's just a laid back atmosphere. Like you know, just being here all my life, it's it's just home for me. Like it's what I know and got everything I need here. Like all my family's here and no hustle and bustle. No, yeah, it's just take your time and, and then having that ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, whether it be water skiing or going to chase a pig or shoot a roo or go, yeah, but, you know, anything. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? It is. It and is. a lot of people, I guess, from the city who come out here, I think they're quite fascinated by the lifestyle out here and, and the people. The people are really kind and very accommodating. Yeah, yep, they are. Like, I, you know, saying, I've been all over the world and, and, and been and seen and done a few things and, like, I can't beat coming back home. I always love coming home. Nothing so. like home. That's right. Speaking of family, can you tell us about growing up out here and being on the river and being so far from anywhere? Yeah, so I, I've had, I've, yeah, I've had the best life, the best upbringing. Like, had nan and pop um, on dad's side. Like, grew up sort of living with them, with them and dad. Mum moved away at an early age and still got on really well with my mum. And then her, you know, mother and father were here as well. Pop was a shearer, so it was a beautiful lifestyle. Like, growing up as a kid, just you know, you go to school and weekends we were away racing. But you know, at the same time we'd ride our push bikes from in town out to the river, just a bunch of kids. You know, jump off the bridge or go swimming, doing whatever and. No rules, you sort of float around and done whatever the kids were doing and, yeah, no pressure. And, and as I got older with the racing, like, same deal. I had kids come out from the city and just loved it out here and we could go riding anywhere we wanted. Neighbours, like, you know, loved us being on bikes and riding so we'd always use their land or, you know, go anywhere and, and do whatever we wanted. So how did your love for motorbikes come around? I had a, an uncle, one of Dad's brothers, he rode bikes. So the, the other two, like, they were cowboys and, you know, into rodeos and, and whatnot and... I sort of meant to follow that path and then um, he raced Australian like motocross and supercross and was in the top 10 and, and done really well but injuries sort of set him back but yeah I, I didn't like bikes at first, not didn't like them, I didn't like the racing like I sort of rode for a little bit but turned a blind eye to it, didn't want to do it and then one day just sort of got on a bike and just took off it and haven't looked back really. What type of bike was it? Oh just a PO50. Oh. You know, so that's that, how you started, little PO50. Little PO50 in the backyard making a mess and then progressed from there and how did you get into the motocross what kind of pushed you to go and compete um well I think Uncle Scott like he did with him racing I like love watching him and, and kind of liked it and then there was kids that I was growing up with like everyone you know out here has a bike and, and do a bit of riding and whatnot so I think it was just yeah doing it with them and then we'd go to like little club meetings so you know the Cobar Forbes Condoblin Reed, like it was one of my favorite places but yeah just went to all the little club days and then just sort of progressed from there, done pretty well at club days, and then it went to state titles, and then, yeah, from then to Aussie titles. You ended up being, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, one of Australia's top motocross riders, and you competed on the world stage as well. Pretty awesome. Um, I was reading this morning that some considered you um, the ultimate prodigy. What do you think? Yeah, it just goes back to Dad and, and the family. Like, you know, without them, obviously, I was nothing. Couldn't have been able to do anything. Where Dad, you know, he... He was a builder, had a few houses in town, and same to Nana Pop, had a few businesses. Uncle Pete with a caravan park, so Dad pretty well just 
sold everything up and said, right, we'll hook into this and give everything you've got. I've got so much money to, to get you to a pro level and by the time you turn 16, if you're not making money and I've got bugger all left, well, then you're coming to work for me. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Made you get a, you know, have a bit of a go about you. That's right. So I had, to, I had to bust my well. ass. Yeah, it like was. Like you did, you were saying yesterday you spent 46 weekends out of a year. How old were you then? I'd say about nine till till 16, like, yeah. And that was, you know, that was dad just travelling me every weekend and Pop went and bought that farm where we were last night. You know, just bought it, bought it for us and for for me riding, and, and that place turned into a, like a, a motocross heaven. And Dad was good, like he was strict and hard on me, and and it was the best thing ever. Like without having a dad pushing me that hard, I, I wouldn't have got there. So, what did you like about the sport initially, and how did you feel when you hopped on a bike? I, I don't know. It's just a thrill, I guess. Like once you get on a grid, like with forty other guys, and all trying to, you know, beat each other in the first corner and then race for thirty minutes. Like there's no other feeling like it. Like it's yeah, just the adrenaline and. I guess that blood pumping through your veins, I guess, yeah. So it became a little bit of addictive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah addictive. Loved. Loved being on a bike every second, like every race, just that will to win, I guess. Yeah, I hated getting beat. It was always, <laughs> whether we were practising or racing, just couldn't stand getting beaten. And can you tell us a bit about your achievements? You spent some time in America competing, didn't you? Yep. Tell us about, I guess, something that sticks in your mind when you're competing and, yeah. Yeah, there's there's lots of stories to tell. But one, one, one of the problems... The fondest, like the biggest memories I have was, um, they call it Loretta Lynn's Nationals. It's the biggest amateur race in the world. So like 35 or 40,000 kids from all over the world try and qualify, but they only take 2,200, so 40 kids per class, you know, from a little peewee 50s all the way to 30-year-olds sort of thing. Like, you know, amateurs, that the boys that didn't make pro. And, um, yeah, we qualified here in Australia for what it was called, the KDM Cup. We, we made it over there, went to Las Vegas for the World Minis. I think I, I, I come third or fourth, something like that. And met a family by the name of the Osborne, Zach Osborne. They tried us to get us go back over for this Redlands National, but you've got to qualify. So they have like a little area qualifiers, and all the areas go to a regional, regional, try and make it into Redders. And we had no idea how big it was or whatever. And anyway, so we go back for the area, qualified for it, um, and then went to a regional. I remember being in school. Dad plucked me out of school. I think it was a Wednesday lunchtime. Drove to Sydney, jumped on a plane, um, flew to LA, got there. Got there on a Thursday, picked up a rental car, just Dad and I, went to the KDM factory, picked up a bike. We drove 13 hours out to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Wow. Got there Friday half, walked the track, checked it all out, raced Saturday, Sunday. They take the top five out of the regional into the Redders. They come fourth and fifth. Oh. <laughs> that was a Sunday. <coughs> Sunday night, drove all the way back to LA, uh, like kicked the bike out, dropped the rental car off, jumped on a plane, flew back to Australia. Oh, so you weren't there for long? Oh, it wasn't even a week. Oh, oh yeah. we left. We flew out on a, on a Wednesday or a Thursday morning, and we can't walk back in Australia on like a Monday or a Tuesday. I was eleven when we done that. We landed in LA, no GPSs back then. Had a paper map. You ever been to the states? LA is pretty yeah. crazy, yeah. frightening. And I was eleven year old, like on a paper map, getting us out of LA and then coming <laughs> back in. And we got it pretty right, luckily. Oh, that's good. But just those times with Dad, like. What he done then? That kicked it all off. Like you know, we were going well here in Australia, but you know, over there and on a world stage, yeah. Yeah, and tell us a bit about your desert race. Um, yeah, so I done motocross and supercross all my life, like most of my career. And I pulled the pin. I retired at twenty four. Retired, had eighteen months off, just come back home, and then yeah, a guy that uh, used to race for KDM in, in the like enduro and desert team. He rang one day and said, look come down and go for a ride, and, and I hadn't ridden a bike for 18 months, just sort of retired and didn't want to go near it, didn't look at a bike. 
anyway, so we just went down for a ride for one weekend and he was really happy, like, and impressed and said, well, there's a couple of races coming up. The two biggest ones here in Australia is Hatter Desert Race and it's on a couple of properties down, like Mildura, um, really nice sandy soil and, yeah, it's just literally in properties around, you know, wheat fields and in the Mallee scrub and it's about a 30, 40-minute lap time. So you prologue one day, which seeds everyone for, for your start and then the next day it's a four-hour race. So, so you, it's all about the speed. So Yep. Yeah, it's just fast. Desert <laughs> yeah. racing's fast. Yeah. I think Hatter, our max speed might have been, you know, 140, 150, something like that. Like you're along fence lines and in and out of crop fields, like it'd be hauling ass. Yeah. Um, but then Fink's the ultimate desert race here in Australia where it's it's 240k one way, so from Alice Spring down to Fink. And you stay there, like camp the night, and then you race back the next day. So 240k's, I think our average speed's about 125, 130 for it, and your max is like 190. Oh, that's so insane. It's, yeah, oh. it's crazy. Before us, they have trucks and buggies, so it was 150 to 120, like, proper. And those things, like, they haul ass. They're 220Ks or 240Ks, like, they proper scoot. But they go before the bike, so they make an absolute mess of the track. And then we come through after and have to deal with that. And the dust, she's generally pretty dusty up. How well. did you go? Um, I got second both times. So I got dusted by my teammate, Toby Price. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> Both times he dusted me. Did you ever have any injuries in the sport, bad ones? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yep, yeah, yep, had a lot of injuries, yeah. And especially, like, I reckon Fink was the main reason up there why I probably pulled the pin the second time. Dad and I, li- we stayed up there for eight weeks straight, and I, I'd done 5,000 k's of riding on that track. So 240 k just backwards and forth, just trying to remember every bump, every corner, because it's a lot to remember at those speeds, and to try and beat those two boys like because they were so fast up there and I think I got beat by like a minute 20 the second year but in the meantime like up there pre-running so it's just people's properties you know on race day they you know they shut it all down but you know you get caravans along the tracks you know one day I was, I was pre-running and split a mob of camels doing like 140 there's five or six camels there and just shot through them and didn't even have time to break there were donkeys like mob of cattle yeah and, and I just said dad like this is stupid if you do crash it's not what bone, it's how many, or or worse. Like, you know, guys ended up in wheelchairs out there. And that, for me, it just wasn't my sort of kettle yeah. of fish after a while. Yeah, so after that, you came back. And then w- what was the turning point when you decided that you wanted to go out contract mustering and herding goats? I feel uh, like you need <laughs> to explain what you're actually doing, though, because you showed us last night a gyrocopter. Yep. And I had no idea what a gyrocopter was. <laughs> I kind of thought it was a made-up word. Yeah. But it's not, but you're in the sky in this gyrocopter. Can you explain what that is? It's just like a, it's just a small aircraft. It's not a plane. It's not a helicopter. It's a bit of a, I guess, a mix of both sort of thing. Glorified lawnmower. Yeah, that's right. 100%. <laughs> yeah. A really crash hot lawnmower. Yeah. That's all it is. Um, yeah, so while I was racing th- those two years, the Enduro Desert, my, my dad was sort of doing a bit of work for a fella up near Ingonia, you know, mushroom, mushroom goats and whatnot. And on weekends or a couple of days, if I had off, I'd go mushroom with them. And, um, Pulled the pin with race and I was, I was doing a fair bit for him at, at the time. So went and worked for him and, and same deal back with, with dad full time. So that was awesome. And yeah, just went goat mushroom for a couple of years. And it was a really good time. I learned a lot of things with that guy. And um, and that's where the where the gyro come around. Explain what's involved with goat mustering. Yeah, so like wild goats, they just roam. Like they just sort of follow, they walk in the wind, chase the feed and water and, and whatnot. They're not fenced like they get through it like no tomorrow. So they just go, so... You know, a cocky out here, if, if he's got goats or no, there's a fair few, you know, floating around his property, they'll ring up and go, you know, we want to put a goat mush on. So you just sort your time and dates and um, 
get out there and, and you got you know however many guys you need on the ground, whether it be two or five or six, just depends how big the, the and they're on is. motorbikes, aren't they? They are, and yep. you're in this uh, flying mode, like yep. I don't know, lawnmower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, there's planes, there's helicopters, whatever's going at the time. Or, you know, a lot of cockies have certain pilots or certain machines that they use and love. And for me, I'm I'm in the gyro, and we just turn up there and you just say you got a square paddock, you've got a grid that paddock out and try and get everything out of there that you can and, and put them all in the yards and you do that with obviously your men on the ground so you're sort of the eyes in the sky and they do all the groundwork and, and getting them out of bushes and you know all that sort of stuff. How many movies. goats are there? Just depends. You might be mushrooming 50 goats, you might be mushrooming 10,000. So they're wild? They are, yep. Whoa. Five, six years ago, there was a lot of uh, wild goats, like big numbers, and now they're, they're worth so much money and everyone's up them. Everyone's chasing them, everyone's trying to get them. And I guess... You're in a gyrocopter. Yep. Is that a bit of an adrenaline rush for you? Like, you seem like a bit of an adrenaline junkie person. Yeah, it is. It is. So that was, you know, it was the quickest way for me to get in an aircraft. So I just wanted to fly. I didn't I didn't really care about mustering or any of that. I just wanted to have my own aircraft and be able to fly. But not um, high. But not high. Ty did high. tell us last night. <laughs> He's scared, scared of heights. <laughs> but he flies a gyrocopter. <laughs> and how high do you fly? Um, oh, anywhere from sort of 500 to 800 feet. And like, stop there? Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. I yeah, don't, you're I, I've gone up to about 2,000 feet, but just white knuckles was uh. so scared the whole time. Hated it. Absolutely <laughs> hated it. So yeah. no, as soon as I got there, I, I shot back down pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you feel? Like, you've got your own business, contracting. Yep. Going off the world stage, kind of having all those people watch you to being by yourself in a gyrocopter chasing goats. Like, how does that feel? I love it. I guess, you know, that just comes with being country boy, like a bush boy. I'd always love coming home, like, in the off-season or have time off, you know, be out at bush either mustering or chasing pigs or just, just going west, like, further west than here. You know what I mean? Just having a great time, so... It seems like you love home. I do, mm-hmm. yeah. Like I said, I've had the best upbringing, the best life, best family, so... And you married yeah. the girl next door. Yeah, yeah, married the girl next door and... Got it good out here. Got it too good. Now you've got a little uh, baby son who's four months old. Yep. And a beautiful wife. I guess what's kind of the future looking like for you guys? Yeah, I, I guess for the little fella, it's just to, to try and be like my old man. It's just trying to work my ass off and set up something for him or, or be able to take him and do whatever he wants to do. Like I said, I've got the best dad in the world. Like with what he's done, he's sacrificed you know his whole life to, to get me to where I am and like I said, you know, take me all over the world with racing. So I just want to be the, the same as my old man. Like I said, the ha- half of the man he is, I'll be, I'll be pretty stoked. And can I ask, it's a bit of a personal question, but when your mum, I guess, walked out on you um, when you are three years old, did that impact the way that I guess you want to bring up your family or? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, with mum leaving, I guess, obviously a sad thing, like, you know, parents split and whatnot and, and it happens a lot everywhere. And But at the same time, sort of being older now and understanding, like, it was probably the best thing for me going, you know, with racing with dad. Like, if I had a bad race, well, I copped it. She's a 10, 12-hour drive home and he wouldn't talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> So then get home and then, you know, we'd be in the car next week or over the next race. I'd be just starting to talk to him a little bit, you know, be training all week. But but you never got babied. I never got babied and I reckon that that was the best thing for me. Like, the old man was a hard ass, and for the right reasons, it was all my doing. I wasn't riding like I should be. But he got a clip under the ears and, and got a chill and that just made me a better racer, a better rider. And got you to where you got. That's right, yeah. 100%. Well, thank you very much for yeah, chatting with us. And putting us up. And yes, showing no us around Burke. Yeah. Thanks for coming out. I hope you girls had a good time. We'll be back. Don't worry. Awesome. I love Burke. 
worries. Thank you. Thanks, girls. Wow, what a man. What an incredible story. Thank you so much, Ty Simmons, for sitting down with us and giving an insight into what life was like on the world stage and what you're doing now. If you are ever travelling to Burke, make sure you pop by the Port of Burke Hotel and grab a, a beer from the pub there. If you're heading on down the main street, grab a pie from the bakery or if you're feeling up to a bit of adventure, why don't you hop on the mighty Jandra and uh, float down the Darling River? There's plenty to do. This is Extraordinary Outback Stories. This episode was produced by Rihanna Mooney. Music by Nate Skulls. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you're feeling generous and follow our journey on all of our social media pages. 